This morning we're going to dive right in here now into this final installment of God's plan. Uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but I have been challenged in this sermon series. I've been um, actually very convicted during study time and during uh, just seeing what God has done through the life of Nehemiah. I hope you have been challenged and encouraged, convicted at points by the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah is a mighty man of God. This is who we've been talking about. This is who we've been discovering uh, through his life, how to be a part of the God plan. I said this before, but Drake stole my line. So I just want you to know that. Like, I gave him permission to take that and to run with it. But it all came out because I watched his video, his music video, and I saw him do a bunch of good things, some powerful things, giving to people, loving people, putting an arm around somebody. And I was like, man, what are we doing as the church of Jesus Christ? If Drake's going to do this, I, I don't know him, but he seems like a really nice, cool guy. That's awesome. But what are we doing? What, what, better yet, what is JP doing? What am I doing to be a part of the God plan? What am I doing to serve and to love and to, to see this city truly transform? Because you all have something in you that nobody else has. You guys know this. You sit in this room this morning. This isn't, we're going to just preach this morning. I said I was going to teach. We're going to preach. Um, there's something inside of you that's only inside of you. It isn't inside of me. It's inside of you. And Jesus orchestrated it from the very beginning of time in your mother's womb that what is inside of you is for this world. And it's to be used to see the kingdom of God move forward. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I can't be a part of God's plan. I can't be used by God. I got nothing to give him. It's a lie from the pit of hell this morning. You all have something in you, and God wants you to come alongside the God plan and to use what he's put inside of you to change your city, to change this city, to see this place transformed in the name of Jesus. Amen? This is the God plan. This was a this this final installment. This is crucial because as the God plan begins to unfold, as we seize the walls being built up around the city, God's people coming together, unified, high-fiving each other, working, supporting, protecting each other, watching over each other. As the good thing begins to unfold, what happens in the life of people? When things become familiar, you stop living and what they used to be when they first started. When you, let me say it this way, when you came to Jesus, when Jesus transformed, at least for me, when he transformed my life, I wanted to do everything for the kingdom of God. I would get to church early. <laughs> I would get there early with my hands up, raised, praising. I would get in this every single day. I would dive into his word. I would get in his presence because that's the best thing in the world and I tasted the goodness of God. But as time began to wear off, the good thing became just the eh thing. That's what happens. Things that were once awesome become eh. And this is, this is, this is the story here of the people of God. God, God Gave him a promise. He saw the walls being built up. He saw restoration begin to take place. And as they saw God's faithfulness, they started to go, thanks, God. We'll take it from here now. <laughs> That's what we do. We go, God, you did this for me. I'll, I'll take it from here now. Got it. Thank you. Today I'm going to say, uh-uh. 
If we're going to watch the God plan unfold, if we're going to be a part of the God plan, we constantly got to be at a posture and a place of saying, God, this is your plan. I just want to be a part of every day, of every moment, of every minute of it. I don't want to do this by myself. I don't want to do this alone. I want to do it with you, God. So we got to have a little reworking of it. Because when the feels all fall off, the feels, I love the feels. They're good. Good vibes, feels. Because when that all ends, reality hits. And this is what happened in the life of the people. Nehemiah 5, open them up. Actually, if you don't have a Bible that's going to read the same way as I do, um, read it up on the screen. I'm going to get to it. There we go. Because this is out of a different translation. I don't preach out of this translation many times. I've had the past couple of weeks because I read it, and it reads very well. It's the message version. If you're like, you can't preach out of the message version. It's not the Bible. I'm going to today. God bless you. You're loved. You're welcomed here. It's awesome. It's just a paraphrased version, okay? It reads better. I don't, all right, good. We good? Everyone say good. So if you walk out of here saying otherwise, you lied just now. Praise the Lord for his word. Here we go. I'm going to read a lot, so bear with me. Verse 1, a great protest. The walls are built, and immediately the next, the, the walls are almost finished, and immediately the next chapter, the next piece of Scripture is that. <laughs> a miracle happens, and then a great protest arises. It's funny how that works. Was mounted by the people, including the wives, against their fellow Jews. Some said, we have big families, and we need food just to survive. Others said, we're having to mortgage our fields and vineyards and homes to get enough grain to keep from starving. And others said, we're having to borrow money to pay the royal tax on our fields and vineyards. Look, we're the same flesh and blood as our brothers here. Our children are just as good as theirs. Yet there, here we are having to sell our children off as slaves. Some of our own, some of our daughters have already been sold, and we can't do anything about it because our fields and vineyards are owned by somebody else. What's happening? The people of God are now starting to hurt each other. You guys with me? This is what's happening. Miracle just happened, and now people are hurting each other. I got really angry, Nehemiah says, when I heard their protests and complaints. After thinking it over, crucial, I called the nobles and officials on the carpet, and I said to them, each one of you is gouging his brother. Then I called a big meeting to deal with them. I told them, we did everything we could to buy back our Jewish brothers who had to sell themselves as slaves to foreigners, and now you're selling these same brothers back into debt slavery? Does that mean that we have to buy them back again? They said nothing. What could they say? What are you doing is wrong, Nehemiah says. Is there no fear of God left in you? Notice that piece of scripture right there. Is there no fear of God left in you? Every translation reads the same way. Every translation. They didn't change that one. That's crucial. We're going to talk about it. Is there no fear of God left in you? Do you care what the nations around here, our enemies, think of you? I and my brothers and the people working for me have also loaned them money, but this gouging them with interest has to stop. Give them back their foreclosed fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes right now, and forgive your claims on their money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They said, we'll give it all back. We won't make any more demands on them. We'll do everything you say. Then I called the priests together and made them promise to keep their word. Then I emptied my pockets, turning them inside out, and said, so may God empty the pockets and house of everyone who doesn't keep this promise, turned inside out and empty. <laughs> Nehemiah is the dude. <laughs> That's, <laughs> you guys continue to cheat. I'm going to pray God that just empties out your entire pockets forever. Everyone gave a wholehearted, Yes. We'll do it and praise God. And the people did what they'd promised. I'm going to read the rest of Scripture in a moment, Josiah. But, Father, these are your words. 
And we thank you for them. We pray this morning, God, that we'll just be able to receive what you have through these words. This is a powerful story, a powerful example of how we are called to live. So let us, Holy Spirit, live like this. We love you. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah 5, this final installment is his presence, his people, and his providing. If we get into his presence, we're going to get our, 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 our prompting. If we get into his presence, we're going to get our protection. We've discovered this, but this week and this final thing is crucial. When we get into his presence, we get to be about people. Can I just say this from the forefront? If you are a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ, if you've received Jesus, this is now not about you. It's about everybody around you. This is what we're talking about today. His presence, his people. Have you ever watched somebody take something from somebody and you knew it was wrong? Have you ever seen something happen where you go, man, that's not right. That's not okay. Have you ever in that moment become very angry or upset about it? I was uh, 12 years old and I was living back with my parents, as any 12-year-old usually does. Um, Don't know why I said that, but it's just the nature of it. Um, I was there, and my sister was a few years younger than me. She was a spitball. She was a fiery young little girl. And um, my brother and I were told as young men, you are never, ever, ever allowed to hit a woman. Ever. My dad's a big guy, right? Right? I was afraid of him. And if I ever did something like that, I knew he would literally kill me. Like, it would just be the end. You're done, son. Thanks for coming to earth. Have a good one. Right? <laughs> I laugh, but it's like, ah. <laughs> We've reconciled. It's awesome. He said, hey, listen, you're a protector first and foremost of your sister. And you're a protector then of any woman or anything you ever see happen. So I said, okay, and never, ever, no matter what, if a girl was to do something to you, never hit her. Okay, Dad, got it, clear. We had a neighbor down the street. I was 12, she was 14, she was an older girl. I was riding my bike one day, and as God is my witness, I'm riding down the sidewalk, and all of a sudden, I am face down on the ground. Face down. This girl ran for whatever reason, whatever we need to pray out of her, maybe I need to go pray it out of her, whatever. She was nuts. She just ran down her driveway, true story, and just full on kicked me off my bike. Now, I immediately jumped up and was like, are you okay? (laughs) Like, is something wrong psychologically? Like, what just made you do that? I am bleeding. My elbow's busted. I have a scar right here for my chin. I'm bleeding, right? And she goes, I want your bike. Give me your bike. She takes my bike and she takes off. (laughs) All right, whatever, cool. I walk back to the house down my, where my sister's sitting outside. She's a little Italian girl. I'm like, yo. She's like, what's wrong with you? You know that instinct of like, you, women, you have that instinct, right? Where it's just like a flip of the switch. You're like, you hurt somebody, I'm going to come cut you. It's over. She goes, hey, what just happened? I said, this happened. This is what's going on. This girl did this and that. She, without even taking another word, steps up and just starts beelining it towards this girl's house. And I'm going, no, Lord Jesus, please, like, stop. Just stop her. She walks up to this girl. She goes, hey, is that my brother's bike? And I'm watching it, right, from, like, a distance, right, because I don't know what. (laughs) Do I got to call 911? Do I need to call my parents? Like, what's going on? Like, she's like, hey, is that my brother's bike? She goes, yeah. What are you going to do about it? My sister walks up to her a little shorter. Don't condone this whatsoever. This is not okay. My sister goes, you're going to give it back to my brother? She goes, no. My sister says, yes, you are, and full-on cold cocks this girl straight in the chin. I was like, 
Yeah! I told you I'd get that bike back. My sister picks up the bike, brings it back to me. She's like, now go, go inside and take care of yourself. I was like, thank you. Thank you. You're such a good friend and sister. I love you. She knocked that girl right out. We had to have a family meetings of the neighborhood together. It was awesome. But I was like, yo, what? In you didn't know what my sister saw? She saw something taken from somebody. And she became so enraged because, yeah, it was family, but I've watched my sister and I've watched many people over the years become the same way when they watch people being stolen, have things stolen from them. Where there's this righteous anger. Can I say that? Anger is not of God. But when you see something happen to people, when you see injustice happen, when you see people being attacked for all the wrong reasons, something inside of you as a follower of Jesus should start to go, that's not okay. This isn't okay. And in Nehemiah, the people of God began to see that unfold. They were now being back into slavery by their own people. Their own people were hurting them. Their own people were taking from them. And the people came and Nehemiah said, I see it. And this is not okay. This is a mighty example for us, especially today. Well, first and foremost, we, live in, we, we really do live in this self-culture of just me. Me, 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 me. Me. And if it's not about me, I'm not about it. If I'm not getting anything from it, I don't want to be a part of it. This culture today is selfish. Can I say that? Yeah, it is. And I'm just as much a part of the problem often. Okay, we're a selfish culture, but more than ever today, we are a culture that has so many things wrong with it that people are just looking for something to fight about. Some things are really good. Some things are far from good, right? And, and more than ever today, the church, the church of Jesus Christ has to take its rightful position. Can I say that? The rightful position of humility under God of being guided by his spirit, of being directed, of being taught, of being trained, of being equipped to then go into the city, to go into your cities and say, enough's enough. I'm not going to stand for this. I'm not going to trust this is what's best. There's more in store. And Nehemiah stood up. Imagine that scene, right? He's a great leader when he's building the wall. When you're doing something cool, you're a great leader. But when you start to stand up for the things that are right, Woo. People are like, you're not that cool anymore. Can we go back to the cool things? No, today I'm drawing a line in the sand as a church. That we're going to say, hey, you know what? We're going to be people that are about justice, about hope, about protection, about watching over for the least of these, the brothers and sisters around us, the people in this room. This is what we're about. We're about people. People say to me all the time, man, you're in the business of church. I say, no, I'm in the business of people. I don't just sit in an office and just type away, wonder, type. No, I want to be around people. This is what we've been called to as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you don't like people, <laughs> Pastor, I might have to give you the mic because if you don't like people, then get into your prayer closet and start to ask the Holy Spirit to make you about people. Because the whole ministry of Jesus was about redeeming people. We love people here. We love all people. We believe the grace of God is so big, and I know, Pastor, you believe this, that it could change a person's life in a moment. But we are called to be protectors 
to be people that watch over, the people that pray, the people that believe for people to see that the best is yet to come for their lives. Do you believe that for people? Wait, better yet, do you believe it for yourself? Because you can't do this for other people if you don't believe it for yourself. you got to believe that God has some great things in store for me. God has more for me. The way that I've been living, it's not the right way to live. i got to get into the God plan. And when I get into the God plan, then I can start to be about his people. The people. The God plan involves God provision. But the provision of God, this is key. Because Nehemiah, at the end of this chapter, he starts to show how he's been provided for. I'm going to read it in a moment. But we all want the, who wants the provision of God? My hand is like both up. Send the rain. <laughs> Send it. <laughs> we want provision, right? I'm, I, I'm, yeah, sure, I'm talking financial, but I'm, I'm talking just like we want all. Send it, God. But you know what's awesome about this scripture? Nehemiah was about people before provision. When he was about people, that's when God stepped in and said, I'll start to provide. Woo, that was a. <laughs> See, we got it backwards. The truth of this passage of scripture is, you want God's provision, then start to be about God's people. You want provision in your life, start to be about all the other people around you. And then you will see the God of the universe start to pour out heaven upon your life. This is the truth this morning. But some things happen in scripture that we got to take a look at. we got to understand that when it comes to being about people, we got to be sensitive to some things. We've got to have the Holy Spirit's guidance on some things. We've got to have some direction on how to be a part of the God plan. The first thing is this. If you want to be a part of the God plan, if you truly want to live in what God has for you, if you really want to be under the covering of God, if you really want to walk in his prompting and in his provision, then first and foremost, you need to listen for the cries of people. Ooh, silence. You need to be able to be so sensitive that you hear the cries of people's hearts. Thank you. We'll do this together, me and him. No, because here's the truth. This is where it becomes this myself Christianity and it becomes about other people and their Christianity and about knowing Jesus. See, there's many people crying out. There was a great protest, it says. The people inside of the church, they, inside of the walls, they started to cry out. They were starting to be abused. Okay, yeah, we're going to get there. But before that, can we just become aware and allow the Holy Spirit to make us sensitive to people crying out? Every single day, can I be honest, there are people crying out around you. And you may be the only Jesus they ever see. Ever. Not some church service is going to heal them. Not some worship experience is going to make you. See, this, is, this takes us from here to like, okay, we're in this now. We actually are in this now. Because we become so consumed with just, this is my life. This is my time. I don't have long on this earth, so I'm just going to make it about me and mine. No. There's people desperately crying out out there. There's people screaming their lungs out. Maybe not physically, but you can see it all over them. Just go walk the streets of Chicago. See the pain. See the turmoil. See the cries of people's hearts. And is your spirit leaping when you hear it? Or are you saying, silence? I got to get to, to this. I got to get to this dinner date. I got to get to this brunch date. I got I to gotta worry about what's in my bank account. I got to get to the big game. I got to do all these things. I got to worry about everything else that doesn't really matter. We'll see you next week. Come back. Love you all.
But are we walking through these? Pastor Charles is a legend. Can I be honest? If I'm half the man that this man is, I just not put him on a pedestal. You know why? Because he's hearing the cries of his people. And he says, you know what? As the church of Jesus Christ, we're going to respond to these cries. He's not going burying his head in the sand like, ah. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Forgive me. The Lord just takes over sometimes. But are we truly saying, no, I hear these cries. And we're going to be a church that does something about them. We're going to be a church that stands up for them. We're going to be a church that stands with them, hand in hand, arm in arm. We're not going to look at them and say, you don't look like me, you don't talk like me, you don't sound like me, so I'm not going to be for you. Better yet, when they don't look like you and they don't sound like you and they don't talk like you, go be about them. You cut Jesus' heart open if he had a heart. I say it all the time. You know what would be falling out of his heart? People. (laughs) I don't know if he has a heart, maybe. I think he does. People. You know what he does? He listens to the cries. There's a great cry happening in this city, in our city, of injustice, of segregation. This city is the most segregated city in the country. And as the church, as the church, Charles, we're going to do something about it. We're not going to bury our head. This isn't, listen, listen, this isn't for JP to build a great, now big church because everyone's going to be like, he's about this stuff. We should all be about this stuff. Okay, can I say that? Living in the God plan, you've got to hear the cries of people's. But you know what happens the most? This is the insanity part. This is the crazy part. The cries of the people were inside the walls. What happens is in the life of church, we all become about us, even in the church. I'm talking Sundays. I'm talking anytime we gather. We get in our own little circles. We get in our own little cliques. We get in our own little conversations. And we forget about all the other people that are in here. The person that just walked through those walls that has never been to church before. That has never stepped through those walls before. And we forget about them because, oh, we'll let somebody else deal with them. But their cries are crying out. They're screaming out. Maybe, just maybe, if you walked into church on Sunday, not just to fill me, oh God. Fill me up. How about you were already filled up because you got into his presence. I'm going to preach right now for a second. I'm sorry. How about you got filled up in his presence before you showed up to church. So when you showed up to church, you can be about the miracle and with the miracle. Can we do this? Because, see, when we do this, we hear the cries of people within our own walls. We become sensitive to those cries. And we can walk up to someone and say, hey, I see what's, God's, what's going on in your life. I see it. Let me pray with you. Let me stand with you. Let me support you. Let me take this. Let me help you. Let's build this. Let's do this together. You know this. We're better because we're together. Can we as a church just stop trying to do our own things? Maybe don't rush out of here so fast because you're worried about the reservation at the restaurant. There's a reservation for you right here, and it's probably the person sitting next to you. This is the church we're building. This is the church I know pastors building. This is the church that's truly going to transform Chicago. When we say, hey, listen, we're going to hear the cries of people's hearts. The people of God were so consumed that God wouldn't provide for them. This is what was happening. They started to take self. When you start to take self, you start to to lose who the provider is. The people of God were so concerned that God wouldn't provide. They were so consumed with self that they started to make their own way. And in making their own way, they started to oppress each other around them. Second thing is this. Is this, is this makes sense? Cool. Second thing is this. Trusting God's plan. You do not need to live in need. When you start to trust in the God plan, you stop living in need. 
Why were people crying out? Because the people within the walls started to oppress people. Why did the people within the walls start to oppress people? Because they started to live with self. And as living with self, you start to think that you need. I made the commitment not too long ago, actually. Because I, I was in a place where people owe me. I do a lot for people. They better owe me something. Can I, can I be honest? I needed immediate forgiveness and repentance before God. Because I made the commitment with the presence of God in that moment. And I said this. God, if you don't do another thing for me, if you don't give me another thing for me, you've given me enough and his name's Jesus. That's all I need. See, the people got into the routine of now saying, I need self. I need more. I need more. Instead of saying, no, Jesus, the God of the universe, brought us back to his place. Around his walls, he brought us back. We don't need anything else. And when you start to live in the God plan, you don't live in need. You don't. You don't need. Because when you need, you oppress people. When you need, you operate in a poverty mindset. When you need, you start to operate selfishly. When you need, you start to cut corners. When you need, you start to steal from people, hurt people. If we just stop saying, I live in need, I just need more things, I need the best, I need, 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 need. If we just said, no, I have enough. I've been given enough. If God gives me more, cool, I'll give it back to him. I'll give it back to his people. But if this is all he's given me, if he's given me my wife, if he's given me my family, if he's given me the things that, that's fine. That's all I need because he's given me himself. I don't need anything else. When you start to realize this, you start to walk in this. And you know what need is? It's slavery. I said it Wednesday night, and I hope this comes across the way it's in my spirit. But when you operate as a slave, you ask in need. Scripture is very clear. Galatians 4, read it. Because slaves ask in need. Sons and daughters ask to receive. Oh. See, when you're a son and daughter of the king, you don't need anything. But what you can't ask for is to receive him. To receive more of him. To receive more of him, to receive more of his presence, more of his glory, more of his, more of him, more of him. Jesus, I don't need anything else, but what I want to receive from you is your power, is your strength, is your grace, is your mercy. You're a son and daughter of him. Do you know that? Do you believe that? I don't care if you've had a generation of poverty, a generation of being destroyed, generations of never making it. Jesus can break that in a moment when you say, that's done. I got Jesus and he's going to make a way for me where there doesn't seem to be no way. This is what we're called to do. We're not called to live in need. If you can get this as a young person, a young believer, you will see your life radically transformed. We don't live in need. The third thing is this. When you live in the God plan, you fight for people. You not only protect them, but you fight for them. I love my sister, right? I love her to death. She's got two kids, a husband. She's an amazing woman. She's awesome. She fought for me. Now, did she do it the right way? No. No. No, 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 no. I mean, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Looking back, maybe. <laughs> but she fought for me. Because she saw someone hurt. She saw someone not be able to do something for themselves. I couldn't do what she did, <laughs> in a sense. 
I couldn't go and ask for that back. I couldn't do that. I, I was stuck. And there's many people that are stuck around us. There's people in this story that were stuck. They were hurting. They were oppressed. And in Nehemiah, in verse 6, it says this, when he heard their outcries and the charges, he became very angry. It says that Nehemiah became very angry. But you know what it says immediately after that? It says that he took a moment to ponder on it, to think on it. Catch this, right? We react in anger far too often before allowing the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. We are jumping on causes and jumping on trains that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Because we just want to be a part of something. We're just angry at it. We're just mad. Instead of saying, Holy Spirit, is this the fight you want me to be a part of? And if this is the fight you want me to be a part of, then I'll be a part of it. Because God's always going to call you to fight for people. Right? He always is. Can we just say that? He always is going to call us to fight for people. He's always going to tell us, but it's the fight and how you do it that matters. It's the fighting for people and how you do it that sees the church built. It's the fighting and seeing, hey, you know what, people are hurting, but God, I need your Holy Spirit to guide me because I want to do something. I can't do everything, but I want to do something, and I need your wisdom to speak to me. As you ask that, are you asking God for that? As you ask God for that, he will give it to you. Are you saying, hey, God, you know what, I know that there's people hurting. I know there's things that need to be done. I know that there's need. I know it, I see it, but God, I live with you and all that you have for me. Give me wisdom and direction on how to help here. What if we prayed those prayers, church? I, this isn't like, can I be honest, this is a message to actually see the church built up the way it's supposed to be. This is for you to see your family and your marriage and the way that it's supposed to be built up. Because you'll say, hey, yo, I see this and I want to I do something. But we're so quick to get angry, Right? Nehemiah got angry, but it doesn't say he walked out of there angry. It says he took a moment to think about it. And when he thought about it, you know what I believe happened? He had a Holy Spirit download of wisdom and discernment upon him. And it says that he walked into the assembly of all the people, of all the great men in that room, and he said, hey, listen, this isn't what God's called us to do. You know what's awesome? They all said, you're right. You're right. Scripture doesn't give us an account that there was a one guy in the back corner like, I don't think so. Thanks for coming, Nehemiah. No. It says they all. You know why? Because when you walk with the Spirit of God, when you walk in his presence, you know where he's guiding. You know where he's leading. You know when he wants you to fight and when he wants you just to shut your mouth up and comfort somebody. He knows that, that when you get into his presence, he'll, he'll lead you, he'll prompt you to give. Or maybe not to give, but just to sit with somebody when they're in pain. But see, we just get angry. Oh, this person said this stuff to me. I'm angry. Really? Offense is a choice. Offense is a choice. So if you're offended by something that was said to you years ago and you're still living it, let God be God and let him let it go. Because you're not fighting for anybody. You're fighting for yourself. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. No, Jesus redeemed your life by his blood. Stop going back to the grip of hell. Don't act in your anger. You know what it said? You know what Nehemiah said? Hey, guys, this isn't right. Shouldn't we fear God? How many of you are thinking, better yet, JP, am I thinking this way? 
Would God be for this stuff? Would God be about this stuff? Would God have the same feelings that I have right now? Am I fearing God before I'm fearing some man and their opinion? Am I fearing God? And when you fear God and when you know what God's about, that's when you can step up and start fighting for people. And finally, this is this. As we wrap this up, I, wanna, I do want to remind us that God's presence will reveal to you that he is the God of provision. Okay? And all in all, this God plan sermon is for us to see this city change, to see your lives change, to see your homes change, to see your marriages change, to see the hand of protection upon your life, to see the hand of, of prompting on your life, to prompt you to go do great and mighty things. But ultimately, too, this is about seeing that God is the God of provision. And Nehemiah says, hey, listen, I, I'm now the guy, right? He was the guy then. And he said, I didn't take anything extra from the king. I didn't need the king's budget. I didn't need the king's money. Because after that, the people started looking. I'm like, what are we to do? And he said, hey, I never took it from the king. Because I trusted my God for it. And he said, every single day then, I, I brought people in to eat my food, to sit at my table, to be a part of my life because I wanted to show them how good my God is. And he didn't sit there and go, I don't know if God's going to come through for me or not. I don't know if God's going to provide for me or not. No, when you're about God's people and you're about God's plan, he will provide for you. I believe it wholeheartedly. This is a miracle of it, this. You guys, can I, can I be honest? We started with zero dollars. <laughs> there was days when we stepped out to plant this church and people told us, you're going to fail because you don't have a bank account full of money. You're gonna, and I said, whoa. I don't serve you. I serve the God of provision. And this is what God's about. He's not about having great old big churches and needing a bunch of money. He's about people. And if we could be about people, then watch him provide. You guys need provision in your life? Invite your neighbor over for dinner. Woo. Yeah, that was a good one right there. Yeah. Yeah. You need provision in your life? You need a miracle to come through? Go invite that neighbor down the street or the one right next to you. Invite them over for dinner. Well, I don't have the, fun, the funds to make the meal. Just make what you have inside your house. Scratch some things together. Make it happen. Put it on the table for them. And just sit with them and tell them you love them. Watch them react. And then better yet, watch God move. That's awesome. That's awesome. Rachel and I have learned this. We've learned this. As young as we are, we're young. But we've learned this, that our God and being a part of the God plan will watch his provision. People come over to our house all the time. If you haven't been, I'm sorry, your door's always somewhat open, kind of. We lock it at times, <laughs> sometimes. But there have been moments where Rachel and I looked at each other and said, ah, on paper, she, she's, she's the queen of making sure I don't get crazy with our resources. She says, on paper, JP, this doesn't make sense. On paper, if we, we invite these people over, if we do this thing, if we give here, if we, it doesn't make sense. But you know what my wife does? She says it doesn't matter. I don't want it to make sense. I want God's sense. And I know that God will watch over us. He will keep us. He will keep us close because he is the God of provision. When you're asking for wisdom in his, in his presence, he's going to give it to you. But finally, I want to close with this. If you don't think that he's the God of provision, let me just share this little story with you, and we'll close right now. So good to have you all here. I pray that you really take a hold of these messages. 
But if you're wondering if God's the God of provision, I've said it once today, I'm going to say it again. There's a story about a, a baby. Came to earth, born in a manger. <laughs> With no fan club, no big parade. He came in a cave. And as he came in a cave, he, he was raised by his family and he grew up and he was always in God's house. Always in God's house. Always in God's house. And then he kept growing and he kept growing and he kept growing because that was the God plan. He knew that God was about it. He knew that the plan for God was for him to keep growing and keep being strengthened. And then God said, okay, your time is now. And he went out. And he started to serve people. Beyond anything we could ever imagine. One of the gospels says he did more things than are recorded in this book because there was too many of them. You guys know that? There's a passage of scripture that says there was more things that Jesus did that weren't even recorded in the good book because he did so many. And then he said, hey guys, I'm going to go. My time has come. And they're like, what are you going to do? What do you mean your time has come? You got to stay. This is awesome. He's like, no, I got to go pay the price. I got to go to a cross so that you, each and every one of you in this room this morning, and this entire world could have a hope, could have a freedom, could have a way where there wasn't a way, could have provision from heaven. You catch this? That there could be provision from heaven through my cross, and not through my cross, but through the empty tomb. And in that, people are going to find life. So he went to a cross, and he took the crown of thorns and the beating and the, 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 the whips on his back. He took it all for you and for me. Because he's a God of provision. He's a God of love. And he says, hey, I did that for you. Are you going to let me keep doing more for you? Are you going to step into my plan for you? If he doesn't do another thing for me, he's done enough. But I believe God to have more in store for you. Because scripture says, he that began the good work in you is going to carry to completion. Let me say it again. He that began a good work, not a bad work, not a mistake work, he that began the good God plan work in you is going to carry it to completion. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to God that he's going to do a work in my life and he's going to see it through and he's going to see me through and he's going to continue to provide in only the ways that he can provide. The God plan is a good plan. God plan is the best plan. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning?